So reading on from verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, Come out... Uh, no, sorry. Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the stink bank, steep bank and into the sea and were drowned into the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the, in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had, had, the, had, who had, had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the way that we can really come together and, and be reminded of how great you are and, and that we are in such a privileged position to, to be able to praise your name. Lord, as we come together to, to open your word and, and hear from you, I pray that you would speak through us, speak through me and, and teach us all. Um, I pray these things in your name. Amen. Oh, phew. Well, we made it to the other side. You remember last week we were in the boat crossing the sea and the guys had a terrible night's sleep. Now, I'm sure it's been one heck of a night that the disciples have had. And I'm sure they're getting to the other side and just going, oh my goodness, I'm so tired. I'd really like a, a nice rest on the beach. But that's not what they get. Immediately the man, the demon-possessed man, comes up and, and talks to Jesus. You've got to love the way that the Bible tells a story, particularly the Gospels how they tell the story, it's, it's so action-packed, it's full of intrigue and mystery, but still plenty of action. And like I said, immediately the man who is demon-possessed comes up and talks to Jesus, acknowledges Jesus. Jesus has done exorcisms before. He's cast out demons, he's, he's healed the sick, he's done, done all this sort of stuff, but um, and, and even the disciples have been entrusted with casting out demons. But, but this guy's quite different. And I want you to notice a couple of things tonight as, as we go through this passage. First off, the medical treatment that he received had failed. Let's say medical treatment. Because wrapping someone else up in chains 
is not really medical treatment. But that was the only way that they could try and restrain him, to try and control this guy. He was so uncontrollable. And so this failed. So what's the next best thing? Cast him out of society. He'd been driven away from all forms of civilization and caused to live in a time, in a place where it was just hills and tombs. And it says that in, in verse um, 5, night and day among the tombs he, and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This isolation or this outcastness from society caused himself just to turn on himself. I find it interesting that, that this demon-possessed man also was so quick to recognise who Jesus was. You notice straight away he walks up to the man, walks up to Jesus and just says to him, Son of man, what do you, what do you have to do with me? Son of the Most High God. It's interesting that he's so quick to recognise who Jesus is when all those others around him, around Jesus, particularly even the disciples, are, are often quite really slow to, to recognise who Jesus was. And the reason that, that the demons are so quick to recognise who Jesus is is because um, in James chapter 2, Verse 19, they know who God is. They are subject to God. Verse, cha- oh, goodness. Verse 19 in James chapter 2 says that the demons believe in God and they shudder. They know that they're, they're not only created by God, but they're subject to him as well. Now, this man's in a terrible state. He's clearly very oppressed by these demons and tormented. And when, li- when asked about the demon's name, he's, he says, My name is Legion, for we are many. I reckon if they made a, a movie about this particular story, um, you can imagine the kind of voice that they would put to this guy's voice. It would sound like, 1,000 voices coming out of one mouth. I reckon it would be really scary. We should put it to Hollywood. But we can kind of read this and, and just gloss over it. We can kind of read this and think, these things, oh, I don't know whether they really happen or not, because we're not exposed to that sort of, that sort of thing in Western civilization. I reckon it would seriously freak me out if I was there on that occasion. The Bible doesn't often mention people that were demon-possessed. It sort of words it in different ways of, of people who have unclean spirits or are troubled by demons or, or they're simply under the power of a demon. But, but this guy has been totally overtaken by demons. He's in such a state that he can't do anything about his situation. And it gives you the picture of, 
of hopelessness, of a man crying out for help and yet nobody wanting to help him. I would have been seriously freaked out, as I've said already, trying to front up to this man and, and even talk with him, let alone, let alone cast these many, this many demons out of him. But Jesus remains calm and cool and collected and just says with such an authority that the demons need to come out. Just says, come out of him. And just like last week where we had Jesus' authority over the nature um, with the wind and the waves, over nature, um, we can see Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm as well. And again, with just a few words, as in last week's sermon, with the waves being stilled by just Jesus saying, peace, be still, Jesus says to the man with just a few words come out of him and it it transforms his life. But I reckon the best thing about Jesus' ministry is the way that he has compassion on so many people. Not just people who are rich and healthy and well off and are doing the right things, but in particular, people that are social outcasts. People like the blind, the lepers, the lame, the demon-possessed, women with health issues that are, are totally cast out of society or not allowed to do the things that normal people can do. And this man was an outcast because he was so violent towards other people because of his demon possession. And yet Jesus has mercy on him. One of the, the interesting parts about this story is, is that the demons get cast out into the pigs and then the pigs rush down the hill and drown in the water. Why did Jesus do that? We could, we could say things like, oh, Jews don't like pork or bacon or anything, all those good-tasting meats. And so therefore Jesus cast the demons out into those pigs to punish those people for herding pigs. But I don't reckon that's the, the purpose of the, the, um, the demon possession at all. The purpose of the, the pigs running down the hill and, and into the water and drowning, aside from it being quite spectacular, was, was to give an outward sign of the the man's demon possession coming to finality of such a a transformation from this demon possessed man to this occasion to him being transformed into someone who sits by Jesus' feet and just sits and listens as if the transformation of the man being changed from one extreme to the other wasn't enough I believe that it's that it's an outward sign to show that the people a show to the people that the demon possession was over. But the thing I w- really want you to grasp tonight is the the last little thing that Jesus says to the man. He wants to go with him. This 
this Jesus, he's changed my life. I want to just stay with him for the rest of my life. But Jesus tells him, no, you can't come with me. Instead, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus tells him to go and tell your testimony. In evangelism, sometimes your testimony is is something that is very um, powerful. But I don't want you to think that your testimony is all about you. There's three aspects of what should uh, what should be involved in a testimony: your life before Christ, your experience of Christ, and your life after Christ. Your life before Christ of of what it was like without Christ. Your experience of how Christ has changed your life from from this to that. And then your life after Christ of, of what you are doing because of what Jesus has done for you. And I think to be able to share that in an evangelism kind of context or at work or at school or something like that. You need to be able to share it within about two minutes. I'm going to share mine in a minute, but um, and I'll probably go over two minutes. <laughs> but no one can argue with your testimony. Just as the man in, in Mark chapter 6, 5, um, there was no one that could argue with his testimony because they weren't there. The only way that you can argue with something is if you have evidence to prove it not true or if you were there to witness something different. So nobody has the power to argue with your testimony. Some testimonies are spectacular, like the demon-possessed man. Can you imagine telling your testimony and having a, a herd of pigs rush down the hill and into the water and drown in the sea. That would have been quite a spectacular sort of event. But some testimonies are are quite boring, like mine. Um, I could stand up here and tell you that I grew up in a Christian home, went to church all my life. Um, All of that would be true, but it's it's not not something that's, that's very exciting. I did that. I went to to church on Sundays um, with my family. That was what we did. And yet, Monday through to Saturday, I just behaved like it was my own life. I'll do what I want. I did this right through my primary school years, um, even though I made a commitment very early on to Jesus. And then in high school, I would behave and talk like everyone else. I did this right through my early 20s and into my late 20s as well. We went to church. Um, we started having children. And we go to church. That's, that's what we do. And yet I didn't realise that, that what I was doing was taking for granted what Jesus has done for me, the mercy that he's shown me. One particular event was only just uh, probably about six years ago 
I had a dream one night, and um, we were sitting in church as a family. It was myself, Jody, my wife, and our three girls. And yet we only had two girls in real life at the time. And we were sitting in church, we'd sung the songs, we were listening to the sermon. And clear as day, it was the church that we were going to at the time. And it had doors at the end of the, end of the building. And through these doors comes this man holding a rifle. And he, he just screamed out, All right, you Christians, stand up. And me being a Sunday Christian, I was too afraid to lift my bottom off the seat. Um, and yet Jody and the three girls stood up. I don't, don't know what happened after that because I woke up like this. It shook me up. It really shook me up. And from that time, I've realised that if I'm not able to give my life for the, the man, the Son of God, who has given his life for me, who has shown mercy for me, then I can't call myself a Christian. That's not, not a literal sense that you'll have to give up your life, but it's, it's no longer my life, but Jesus. From that time, I've, I've been perfect. No, I haven't, <laughs> haven't been perfect. I've struggled just in the same way that I know all of you do. I've struggled to, to give my life over to Jesus day by day. I've struggled to, to live my life for him. But it's certainly been the experience of, of knowing how much mercy and grace he has shown me that has really changed my life. And as you go home tonight, I really want you to think about your particular context, whether it be school or work or retirement. I want you to think about your particular context and think about who you can share your testimony with. Who you can say or tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the way that you have shown us mercy. Thank you for the way that we can think about all the things that you have done for us. And especially as we think about the way that you have shown us mercy by dying on a cross for us. Lord, for the way that, that you've suffered and died for our sakes to bring us back to you. Lord, help us to grasp those situations where we can share our testimony with others and let it not be about us but about you. Let it not be pointing to how great we are but simply how great you are. 
Lord, thank you for the way that you have shown us mercy. In your name, amen. Thanks, Janine.